Hi, Podcast Brunch Clubbers. Thanks for joining me. For those of you who are new, welcome. I'm Adela, and I'm the founder of PBC. PBC is like book club, but for podcasts. We're a global community of avid podcast listeners. Every month, one member chooses a theme and three to five podcast episodes that hit that theme. I send out the playlist via the PBC newsletter, and then people listen on their own time. And at some point during the month, small groups meet in person all over the world to discuss the listening list. We have over 30 chapters, and I'm thrilled to now be able to say that we are on five continents. We just added a chapter in Cape Town, South Africa. To get a better sense of who we are and how to participate, take a look around podcastbrunchclub.com. You can subscribe to the newsletter, join our Facebook group, and find out where we have in-person chapters. If we don't have a chapter where you live, start one. I can help you. This podcast is a way to bring a tiny bit of the conversation directly to your earbuds. At the moment, we're on a monthly schedule, which is coordinated around our monthly theme, and each episode will be released around mid-month. Subscribe to the newsletter so you can be the first to know when a new theme and playlist are released. You can also find our past listening lists on the website. Today, we're chatting about the podcast playlist centered around passports and citizenship. You can find the episode lineup at podcastbrunchclub.com passports. My guest is Kathy Polkrabic. Kathy is a member of the PBC Chicago chapter and is also the co-host of XX Will Travel, which is a podcast for independent women travelers. She included four fascinating episodes for us to listen to, along with a bonus video podcast. The first is 50 Things That Made the Modern Economy from BBC World Service. The episode title is Passports. 50 Things That Made the Modern Economy with Tim Harford. This is a quick nine-minute podcast where the host recounts how the modern passport came to be and its effect on today's workforce. The concept of passport as protection goes back to biblical times. And protection was a privilege, not a right. He also contemplates the possibility of life without passports and how it could affect the global economy. All migration creates winners and losers, but research indicates that there are many more winners. In the wealthiest countries, by one estimate, five in six of the existing population are made better off by the arrival of immigrants. So why does this not translate into popular support for open borders? Next was the Planet Money episode, entitled Buy This Passport. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Stacey Vanek-Smith. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Most people do not think of citizenship as a product. For a lot of citizenship has become a commodity, like and the island of St. Kitts and Nevis is cashing in. For a $250,000 cash donation or $400,000 property investment, you too can become a petition, entitled to all the benefits that citizenship entails. Just like that. They'll give you a St. Kitts passport, Citizenship is a product they sell. Next up is the Forethought podcast from BBC4 Radio. Welcome to Somerset House and to Forethought. The episode we discuss is titled Passports for a Price. Like many good stories, this one begins in a bar. Katie Long, who works on refugee and migration issues, contrasts the story of a colleague's offhand remark about traveling with multiple passports with the experience of a friend, a refugee without a country who tries to buy citizenship on the black market. It will cost him, of course, about $100, which is roughly three times the official rate that Ugandans pay when they're applying for a passport. This leads to a discussion on how the accident of where you're born determines much more than we realize as well as the ethics of purchasing citizenship. Next was the Strangers podcast episode called I'm an American. Would everyone please rise? Welcome to Strangers. Raise your right hand. From KCW and Radiotopia. And repeat the oath of allegiance. I'm Leah Tao. And that's me being sworn in as an American citizen. I hereby declare Leah Tao recounts her journey to becoming an American citizen by tracing her lineage to events that took place in Sweden in 1945. My grandfather and his buddies had fled to Sweden in 1943. Sweden had remained neutral during the war and was less than an hour by boat from Copenhagen, and a branch of the Danish resistance operated out of there. 
Tao recounts the positives and negatives of becoming an American citizen and describes the strange middle ground she occupies between her original country of Denmark and her adopted homeland of the United States. And so for two decades, I found myself defending the Americans in Europe and defending the Europeans in America, trying to make both understand that you simply cannot compare these radically different places as if they were the same. Finally, Kathy included a bonus video podcast from Al Jazeera World, entitled Passports to Freedom, in which individuals from Syria, Iraq, and Egypt talk about why they left their countries in the aftermath of the Arab Spring and why they view their moves to the new country as permanent ones. So those are the episodes Kathy and I discuss. We did this episode a bit differently from previous ones. Rather than speak specifically about each episode, we took on four of the conversation starter questions that were included with the playlist. Again, go to podcastbrunchclub.com passports or click the link in the show notes to view the playlist and conversation starter questions. I'm playing around a bit with the format and would love to hear any feedback you have. Also, stay until the very end when I'll tell you what next month's theme will be and where to find the podcast playlist. Thank you so much, Kathy, for joining me today in the Podcast Brunch Club podcast. Why don't you tell the Podcast Brunch Club audience a little bit about you? All right. Well, I am a member of the Chicago chapter of the Podcast Brunch Club, And I am also a co-host and co-producer of a podcast called XX Will Travel, a podcast for independent women travelers, which is kind of why I picked the theme of citizenship and passports, because it's something that we discuss a lot and that comes up in our conversations a lot. And I'm also a writer and editor here in Chicago. And you chose the theme passports and citizenship. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that thought process? Were there any twists and turns as you were thinking about how to approach the theme? Well, I knew I wanted to do something travel related and I knew it had to be more narrow than travel. So my co-host Inez is actually, she went through the process to become a citizen recently and she, she became an American citizen. And part of the reason was because she held a Peruvian passport and with me holding an American passport, I had never thought about or realized how many hoops people from other countries had to jump through to travel. Because for Americans, it's like you go to the airport, they give you a stamp, maybe you pay a fee, and then you're in the country. But for other people, they're not as fortunate and have to fill out long, arduous forms or travel to get a visa or pay crazy fees just to go on a vacation. And I was familiar with this from, I knew Indians have a tough time traveling and Pakistanis have a tough time traveling because I worked for an international organization and we would have to get them invited to come to our meetings. But I guess I just didn't think of other countries, you know, like South American countries. I just assume that they have the same travel freedoms as I did. And that is not the case. Yeah. So I love the direction you took it because we covered immigration a couple of months ago and it was a great conversation. And this just kind of like dug a little deeper into passports and the history of passports and what does citizenship even mean? Is citizenship up for sale? So we're going to focus on four questions, the conversation starter questions that you put together for Podcast Brunch Club. And for all you listeners, if you have any of your own answers that you'd like to share, you can always email me at Adela, A-D-E-L-A, at podcastbrunchclub.com. You can either email me a, a written message and I can read it on the podcast, or you can send me a voice memo. The first question that we're going to explore is you have a link to a Huffington Post article called The World's Most Powerful Passports Ranked in Real Time. So the question is, according to this list, the German passport is the most powerful passport in the world. Where does your country rank on the list and how does that affect how you move through the world? All right. Well, this list is based on the number of countries you can visit with your passport. And as we discussed, Germany has the most powerful passport, if you rank it that way. They can visit 158 countries. And the U.S. is not far behind, 156. 
And Afghanistan is actually the last country. I think they can visit 23. Yeah, that is they can currently visit a country without applying for a visa, which is like that is the huge hurdle to traveling. Like the the most difficult countries that I have traveled to so far have been Russia and Brazil. And Russia was particularly onerous, an onerous process and a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of misdirection and where to submit forms and prices and stuff like that. But I found out from Russians and Brazilians that this is in response to how the U.S., how difficult the U.S. has made it for them to come here, right? Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of tit for tat, which makes sense to me. Right. I think the only place that I've ever had to apply for a visa before going was India. Everywhere else, I think I just got a visa on the spot when I went through border control. Yeah. And I think you still have to get a visa, but it's just like on the spot for certain passports. And I think India is one of the hardest places to get a visa, and so is China. And it's it's really difficult, I guess, if you're not in a place that has an embassy that's easily accessible. You know, like I at the time was living in D.C., so embassies were everywhere, and they were all like next door to each other, even if, you know, if you did want to embassy hop, you could. But if you're living in rural Wisconsin or even just Milwaukee, I don't know that there's an Indian embassy or consulate there. And that's exactly what uh, the Russians and the Brazilians had to do, too. And, you know, Russia and Brazil are so huge. And if there's one U.S. embassy and you have to go interview in person, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. So I'm looking at this list. And like you said, Germany is the most powerful passport at 158. Singapore and Sweden are 157 each. And then there's a whole list of places that are at 156. So we are in good company with Denmark. And I see we, I'm a U.S. citizen. So Denmark, Finland, France, Norway, Spain, and the United Kingdom. I guess it makes, it sort of makes me think a little bit about the episode that we listened to about how St. Kitts and Nevis is selling their passport or selling citizenship and how you know, some people are drawn to that because it's easier to travel with a St. Kitts and Nevis passport than it is from the country that maybe they were born in. And that, you know, there was an instance where I think Canada let some figure into their country with a St. Kitts passport who either was wanted for embezzlement or something like that. And then after that, a lot of countries started requiring visas for people coming from St. Kitts and Nevis. So it sort of defeated the original purpose of maybe getting a passport from there. Yeah, it kind of sullied it. Like it was great in theory. And I think, what was it, 14% of the St. Kitts GDP in 2014 was from citizenship. So there are pluses and minuses. Yeah. You know, I guess, again, like you said, in theory, it makes sense. They were doing it after a hurricane hit and destroyed their sugar industry, which was the primary export. And they were in a lot of debt and they needed to find ways to make money. And so citizenship became one of those exports, I guess. And I guess you'll you'll find ways to get around the system as much as you can. So the two options were either a $250,000 don- donation to the country directly, or you can invest in property that's at least $400,000. And so what happened was all of a sudden there were like these construction projects popping up everywhere for basically concrete boxes that were for exactly $400,000. And largely, you know, unoccupied. And it was the bare minimum. (laughs) Yeah, it was like a property in name, but not necessarily in practice. It's not like you're going to live there. They even talked about voting rights and how the citizens that get their passports that way were not granted voting rights, Mm -hmm. which makes me start thinking, okay, seriously, like then it's second class citizens, right? Because there's the voting citizen and then there's the non-voting citizen. And it's it's even weird because that power dynamic is reversed because you'd assume that the people who are born there probably can't pay $250,000 to be a citizenship. So the people with the money don't have that power. I'm sure they influence the government in other ways, mm-hmm. but um, they don't have right. that that basic foundation of democracy is denied to them. Yeah, that was fascinating. All right, let's move on to the next question. So this question is, has your passport or citizenship ever affected your travel plan? Um, because I hold an American passport, it really hasn't. 
I know non-U.S. passport holders who have to go through a lengthy application process. And sometimes when you're applying for the visa, there's no guarantee you'll get the visa. I know this is true in Jordan because I talked to my tour guide. So you have to have your plane ticket and hotel reservations in hand and then apply for your visa. You have to pay the application fee and then they can deny you your visa. So you're out a couple thousand dollars. But so, no, it's never happened to me personally, but um, I have heard of it happening to many other people, mostly Mm non-American. I had one experience. So my father is Israeli. I was born in the United States. But technically, I think, according to the Israeli government, if you have one parent that was born there, then you are technically a citizen. Oh. So according to their rules and regs, I'm supposed to have a Israeli passport, and it's just not something that I ever got and not something I ever wanted to get. Although I've been there a ton of times. I'm actually going in about a month. But um, every time I go into the country, they would see my last name, and my last name is a very, very common Israeli last name. and they would ask me, where's your Israeli passport? And I was like, I don't have one. And it was the whole this whole thing. And the thing about Israel is there's mandatory military service for all citizens, so female and male. At 18, they go in, females go in for two years and males go in for three. And I was just always something like, I'm like, oh, well, then if I get citizenship, then I have to go through a whole load of nonsense to say, I don't want to go to the army. And then it's a whole thing. So I just sort of never did it. And I don't honestly think they want me in the army. So <laughs> like nobody ever, nobody ever really gave me any problems when I went in and out of the country. But I studied abroad there and I went into, I went to Sinai, which is in, in Egypt and I crossed the border by foot. So going into Egypt was no problem. I mean, I was going in on my American passport. But coming back, they really gave me a lot of problems. Um, Mainly, again, not because of my passport, but because I think because of my lack of passport, because of my lack of an Israeli passport. And they were like, you have two weeks to go and declare that you don't want to be a citizen. At this point, I had been in Israel so many times and I was like 20 years old and was leaving in a week. So I was like, okay, two weeks. That sounds good. I should be able to do it in two weeks. And then in a week I left and (laughs) like it never... It never really came back to bite me, but every time I go to Israel, I always get a lot of questions and I have to go through this whole thing. I was born and raised in the United States. I don't have one. I don't want one. You don't want me to have one. Like there's there's a whole lot of reasons for me not to have one. Yeah. Well, even if you have a U.S. passport and you have the Israeli stamp in it, Mm -hmm. it can cause issues. Yeah. For sure. I can't go to a lot of places because I have an Israeli stamp in my passport. Exactly. Which is ridiculous. I know. Yeah, and as an American, it's it's a wake up call. But for most people in the world, they'd be like, "Well, <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> uh, no big deal, <laughs> right?" Okay, so the next question that we're going to focus on is: applying for citizenship is an emotional journey with lots of paperwork and a hefty price tag, even if you're doing so legally. What is something that would make you contemplate giving up your citizenship and becoming a citizen of another country? Um, I think in most cases, a lot of people do it for relationships. So love. Oh, I never thought about that. Yeah. A good friend of mine, her husband is British and she's American and he stayed here to get his American citizenship and they're currently in England so she can get her British citizenship. So they'll be dual citizens. Um, Yeah, that's always a good thing. I feel like it's just such a great plan B just in case things go sour in one place. So did they until Brexit happened and then Trump happened. I know. (laughs) I know. Like the double whammy. It's like (laughs) you couldn't have had had the worst two passports. (laughs) I know. I know. They were pretty disappointed. And the other one, as we talked about earlier, was when stuff happens politically that not only you don't agree with, but also might put you in jeopardy as a citizen of your current country. Yeah. I mean, I was one of the people who on election day shut down the Canadian immigration site because I was like, oh, no, this is not happening. How do I become a citizen of another country? I was like, I'm going to look into it and see what it takes. And it was down. Yeah, it's crazy. And now they're having the Canadian government is having issues with all the Haitians who are illegally immigrating from the U.S. to Quebec. Oh, yeah. The language. Yeah. So I found that very interesting. Like, it's been a while since people have considered fleeing the United States. I know. 
And I always think about it like, you know, my father's Israeli, I'm Jewish, and a lot of stuff has happened in history that have caused Jewish people around the world to flee. And a lot of people didn't. Like, they didn't maybe see the writing on the wall and stayed put just thinking, oh, this is a phase, or oh, it won't get that bad, or oh, it won't get any worse. And then they ended up getting stuck in Poland or Germany and suffering the ultimate consequence. And I just always wonder, like, would I have that foresight to see the writing on the wall? You and I were talking about even in your neighborhood and the north side of Chicago, the graffiti that you've seen, I saw a little bit of it written up in the paper. Oh, yeah, just mere blocks from my house. And it's a pretty, it's an affluent neighborhood, a very progressive neighborhood as Chicago tends to be a progressive city. But there is Nazi graffiti in three different spots in my neighborhood. A lot of people have been telling me I'm chicken little and overreacting when I bring up stuff like this. But then you just have to go back to Germany in the 20s and think about the buildup and how much do you ignore Mm -hmm. or attribute to people, you know, uneducated people, people who are just trying to get a rise out of others. How far do you take that before you really have to start thinking seriously about the direction the country's going and the potential for disaster, I guess. Yeah, catastrophe. Totally. I mean, yeah, it's easy for me to look around and be like, well, none of my friends are like this. All of the people that are around me are just as disgusted by this kind of thing as I am. But again, I just think about the people in in Poland and Germany and Austria back then thinking, okay, well, they're just a loud minority. But they ended up with a leader who had the same feelings. And I feel like that's just a very similar situation. I mean, I wouldn't equate Hitler and Trump, but some of his sentiments are concerning, to say the least, and just sort of give that hopefully minority a louder voice and almost like carte blanche to do whatever and say whatever. And that's just scary as bleep. I don't want to swear on the podcast, but like, sorry, that's scary as fuck, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and a platform and support, you know, yeah. and it's 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 amazing how I never thought of political dog whistling as a thing uh-huh. until this year. And I'm like, oh, that in some ways he's smarter than we give him credit for. Right. Like we think of him as a bumbling idiot, but we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes, which is super scary to me. Yeah. For sure. So for me, the answer to that question is this kind of thing is the kind of thing where I'm like, oh, maybe I should have gotten that Israeli passport when I had the chance just as a plan B, not as something that I want to use. But like in case, you know, I mean, things aren't great there either. But just having another place to go if it you know, comes to that. And the funny thing is my mom is actually British. I don't know what the rules for British citizenship are. But I want to say that somebody once told me that it was like you had to prove that your grandparents were born there or lived there. And I I think my grandparents were born there, but I don't know how I would prove it. But I always thought about that, too. And this was before Brexit and all that, that stuff. But just the ability to then work in Europe if I wanted to, because, you know, the ability to make a living is going to be important if you all of a sudden, like, leave everything that you have in the country that you were born in, if you leave that and have to start over, the ability to work is going to be important. Mm -hmm. And that's something that they look at when they're looking at your application for a passport. Right. They want you to be a contributing member of society, which is why when after November 7th, all the Americans wanted to flee to Canada, but they didn't really think if Canada would want them. I mean, I know that even in the United States that There are certain occupations that we're always looking for more people that have those skills. For a time, it was IT and technical and things like that. And it offered people with those skills the opportunity to come to the United States. And I know that I think in Australia, it's the same way that there's certain jobs that that makes it a ton easier for you to get the visa or get the citizenship. And age. The younger you are, the better chance. If you're a young, educated professional, it very much ups your chance of being able to get a visa. And New Zealand actually has a points system. They're one of the easier countries. You can either buy your way in for, I think, a million dollars, which all the Silicon Valley technocrats are doing. Oh, really? 
Yeah. Why? Just in case shit goes down. Yeah. <laughs> or like uh, there's a point system. Like if you are a 30-year-old statistician, you've got a visa. You've got a working visa. Mm-hmm. But my hairstylist recently told me there is a hairstylist shortage in Australia. Really? So if you are a young person who is qualified to do hair... I highly encourage you to go have an Australian adventure. Yeah, for sure. I remember they were doing that, I think, a couple of years ago, or not a couple of years, probably more than like 10, for nurses. They had a shortage yeah. of nurses, and they were trying to get nurses to come over. So I had a friend whose wife was a nurse, and she did like a six-month thing there where they paid all of her expenses, and it was just super easy for her to do that. Well, that's why there are so many Filipino nurses in the U.S., Oh, we had a nurse shortage too, right? Yeah. In the 70s and early 80s, there we had a nurse shortage. And in the Philippines, they already speak English and they care for their elderly in their homes. Right. So that was perfect for a nursing job. It's funny that you say that because you would not think this in the beginning, but there's actually a lot of Filipino caretakers in Israel. Oh, really? Yeah. And the demographics may have changed since I've been there last. I can tell you in a month. My grandparents were elderly there, and they were both taken care of by Filipino caretakers. And there was a huge influx of Filipino caretakers for the elderly. There's definitely the need, and then the country might lower its restrictions for people with those skills. But that's definitely a case of having the right training at the right time. Yeah, totally. Okay, so the next question, and again, I encourage everybody to think about these questions and send us your responses, uh, is, is citizenship the same thing as belonging to a community? I say no, because if citizenship was the same thing as belonging to a community, then we wouldn't have like Little Italy or Greek town. It's not like citizenship immediately severs your connections to the community you already belong to. Yeah. I think citizenship is just way too broad. There's way too many people in that bucket. There's way too many American citizens to say, yeah, I belong to that community. There's just too many people in that community. I think of a community as a much smaller unit than just like the entire population of passport holders of a country. But I also think maybe there's an element to like, it depends on where you are. If you are a citizen of the United States and you're in the United States, then probably not. But if you're a citizen of the United States and you're living in Thailand, then maybe Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's a way for you to kind of find your tribe or whatever they call it now. I agree. And I think like if you move, Chicago has a huge Mexican-American community. And I think if you're coming from Mexico and you move here and there are a ton of other people of Mexican descent, that would make your transition much easier Yes, to, you know, hang with people who share your culture. But if you move into like rural wherever and you are the only person of Mexican descent, I think, then you might... I hear what you're saying. Like, I, and that's, I think, exactly why Little Italy's exist or the Swedish part of town or the Polish part of town or the Jewish part of town, you know, like because people are constantly trying to find people that are like them and create that community. And you can obviously belong to many communities, but gender, religion, race, location, it could just be location. You know, I'm a East Lakeviewer. You know, I live in Lakeview and I identify with that community. I don't. I don't, but I'm just saying it could be that. Well, and I I also think that finding your tribe, whatever that may be, in a place where you're new is part of the assimilation process. Like all the people who are so mad that Mexican immigrants don't speak, and I'm just saying Mexico is I'm just picking a nationality, that, that Mexican immigrants don't speak English, forget the fact that their family were immigrants once, and then also that those kids of those Mexican immigrants are going to grow up speaking English, you know, or, or be bilingual. I mean, everybody needs to watch Jane the Virgin for so many reasons, (laughs) but, (laughs) but one of the main reasons is to look at like the grandma speaks Spanish and Jane answers in English and they understand each other. And it's like an American family with a, a different background, a Venezuelan background. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I would challenge anybody who said like, oh, they should come here and speak English to like, if you all of a sudden found yourself in Mexico, tell me you're going to talk to your kids in Spanish. Try and convince me. You're not going to do that. Exactly. 
you might put your kids in a in a school where they speak Spanish so they can learn the language, but at home you're not going to do that. Yeah. Hi, Podcast Brunch Club. We're Morgan, Sarah, and Melissa. And we are the hosts of the Other F Word Podcast. Our show explores failure in hopes of taking the shame out of it. In every episode, we talk to a guest about how failure has shaped their life. Our guests include actors, artists, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, and regular people. A great episode to start with is Elizabeth Kraft on fear or Sam Lamott on the truth of being human. Take a listen and come join the conversation. So do you have any big points that you wanted to make about any of the episodes? You can go one by one. The 50 things that made the modern economy, talking about passports. Is there any kind of standout things that really struck you about that podcast? Probably the origin of the passport, just how it was a letter of protection and how we didn't really have passports until World War II. Right. And I never realized it had its roots many centuries ago, but the current implication is so modern. I didn't realize that it's like three generations back, Mm -hmm. which is nothing. Yeah. And it seemed like there was a point in history where the passport might not even exist. There was a kind of teetering point. It might have just kind of gone away. I think it was around World War I where the idea kind of percolated, but it was formalized around World War II. Um, So we talked a little bit about the planet money by this passport episode about St. Kitts and how you can either give the 250,000 donation or buy property. $250,000 is kind of cheap for a passport. Yeah, it's really not a lot. (laughs) You know, and no. like property for 400 is not a lot either. Right. And if that, if St. Kitts keeps, you know, developing as a tourist destination, it's only going to go up. So it's, it actually seems like kind of a sensible investment. Yeah, for sure. If you're looking for another passport and you want to make money anyway, and you have the kind of money where you can buy citizenship, like why not? Right. I would definitely go the property route. I mean, you're investing in property. And then if you want to sell that property, you can get your investment back. Right. I mean, I don't know what the rules are for citizenship is like once you have the passport, can you sell that property, you know, and then not have property there, but still have the citizenship? I have no idea. You know, because you could literally just make your money back and then some. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a good follow up episode. Mm -hmm. So then there was the forethought episode called Passports for a Price, where um, they talked about refugee and migration issues. Yeah, that was just... It brings the point home of how accidental this all is. It's chance. It's chance of when and where you're born and where your parents are. And it's just, it's up to fate. Yeah. Like, we like to think we're in control, but we're not. Yeah. Overall, I definitely feel lucky to have been born where and when I was born. Mm -hmm. But I could have so easily been born another person at the same exact time, but just in a different country and have had... A horrible experience. and It also struck home how people, they will take such huge risks to get something that we, well, at least me, I can't speak for you, but we, that I take for granted every day. Yeah. I mean, again, it goes back to that whole thing of if you were in the 1920s Germany and you saw what was happening, God, you know, the idea of just completely abandoning everything that you have, your community, your family, your stuff your house, your business, and strapping a backpack on and just leaving the only place you've ever known because of the threat that you see is sort of coming. It's just like, of course, people didn't do that. Of course, that would be too daunting of an option for a lot of people. It is. And and those were the people who are fortunate enough to have that foresight, which is also luck. Yeah. And then the Strangers episode called I'm an American. I actually, (laughs) I saw Leah Tao just recently at Podcast Movement. And I had been listening to another one of her episodes. And I kind of, she was walking right toward me and I was going to pass her and she was alone. And I just kind of stopped her and I was like, I I first complimented her. I was like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. You're such an amazing storyteller. But I'm mad at you. (laughs) She was like, why? (laughs) And I was like, well, you made me cry on the plane on the way over here. And it was a totally (laughs) different episode. But I love her. She's amazing. She's such a good storyteller. And I feel like she has such great self-awareness. And she can really kind of parse out her own feelings about things and, and show how, you know, she's so human. She really is so relatable and human. And 
about her struggles with, you know, her own family's history with being in Denmark during the war and everything. I don't know. That one really struck me. Yeah, she is a great storyteller. And I loved this episode in particular because a lot of people think citizenship is one or the other mm-hmm. when that's like that says citizenship on paper. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how she goes home to Denmark and people are be like, will be like, well, this sucks about America. And she'll be like, no, 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 it won't. And then she finds herself defending America, but also now she looks at Denmark differently and people are like, Denmark is perfect. And she's like, well, you know, actually. Yeah. So she she has a weird perspective, like a weird, a weird middle ground. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so typical of a lot of immigrants, right? I mean, that purgatory place of, you know, this is where I grew up. This is where I was raised. This is where my family is. And then this other place is where I am now and where I see myself being in the future and where is going to give me the best opportunities for the future and my children the best opportunities for the future. And it it feels a lot like turning your back on a place. It's like turning your back on a friend that you've had forever. I think my dad has a bit of those feelings about leaving Israel. He looks, you know, at his leaving Israel as a, maybe a little bit of a failure in some ways. But also understanding probably deep down that it was the right move for him at the time. It was the right move maybe for my brother and I. But there's a lot of guilt, a lot of guilt associated with it. And where does he consider home? That's such a good question. I've always been fascinated by that question. I actually think somebody should start a podcast called Finding Home. I don't know. I honestly, I don't think I've ever asked him that question. I think he would say Israel, and I think he would feel Israel. And I think if it wasn't for my brother and I, and probably not even my brother and I, but my brother's two children, my dad would have been like, we're retiring in in Israel. And actually, if it wasn't for my mom, because my mom was like, hell no, I won't go. I'm I'm staying staying here where my kids are, (laughs) you know? But I think my dad would have been like, he would have been like, we're going to retire in Israel. Huh. But not England. They've never thought about going. Oh, no. And my mom, I think, would not consider England her home. Huh. My mom would consider America her home. There's definitely still a connection, but I do not think my mom would ever, ever, ever consider moving to England. It would be either Israel or the United States. Yeah. And then the final episode was the Al Jazeera World Passport to Freedom. So tell me tell me a little bit about why you wanted to include this. Because I thought it was a good perspective for the political climate in which we live. In the United States, which, you know, is my perspective, I think with all the craziness that is going on domestically, that the situation in Syria and um, the Arab world in general has kind of slipped under the radar and it's still going on. And the fact that these people aren't leaving their countries, like with your parents, it sounded like it was a choice, like it was something that they both wanted to do. And this is really a survival yeah. tactic for these for these people. So the other podcast talked a little bit about migration mm-hmm. or, or buying citizenship to escape a, a country or become a citizen when you're stateless. And I just really thought that this put it into perspective. And I thought it was really cool how technology-wise, how it popped up as a film in my podcast player. Like that had never happened to me before. Yeah. I've seen these video podcasts. And that was something that, I mean, you definitely couldn't listen to it only. I think some video podcasts you can listen to only and not see the visual. But because there was, because there were subtitles, it was just unless you know Arabic. It's not something you could just have listened to, but you also needed to see it because they went all over, right? They went to Georgia. They went to Istanbul. They went to Toronto in Canada. I think so. Yeah. I think so. They went all over and they would say where they were. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting that some of the people were like, you know, I was born there, Iraq or Egypt or whatever, but I I felt like some people felt truly like the the country had failed them. Mm-hmm. And it was almost anger. There was a lot of anger in some people. Like the one man, this was hard for me to listen to, the man in Iraq who has had to go through the checkpoint with his daughter and the um, checkpoint guards were kind of slapping his daughter around and then and then broke his ribs and, and all that. And he just decided like, that's it. And I could totally understand that. I mean, to me, in some ways, there's like a weird thing that people have about physical land, right? Like, mm-hmm. 
just because I was born in this physical, on this physical, you know, space, why does that mean that I need to be devoted to it for the rest of my life? If the powers that be that rule that small space that I was born are not treating me well, why should I stay true to it? Like with Leah Tao, she had to basically say that she would pick up arms for it or, you know, or she had to cut ties with other powers or I guess countries. But it's just so weird to me, I think, that it's like so tied to a physical piece of land. Yeah, the soil, like literally the soil, which is also interesting because that is what in Charlottesville recently, the neo-Nazis were talking about blood and soil. That was one of their chants. So there's a soil attachment there, too. You know, the alt-right, this is so weird to me, the alt-right likes to point to Israel and say, you know, the Jewish people have found a homeland and the, you know, white people, that's what we want for white people and this and that. And I'm like, uh, yeah, Israel started as a homeland for people because of the awful things that were happening to them everywhere else. Mm -hmm. So tell me, white men, what awful things are happening to you right now, you know? Right. So that was hard to see here. And also, like, I find it odd that any any group of people that likes to kind of go back in time and point to that point in time as the time that they want to go back to, you know, um, like, why are you going back only to, I don't know, the Civil War and not to before Columbus? Like, why is mm -hmm. all right saying blood and soil about and going only, you know, I don't know, 150 years back, but not 500 years back? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's these weird points in history that I feel like people point to and say, that's where we need to get back to. And it could be biblical, you know, and I'm like, what? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Time marches on. It does not go backwards. Right. Yeah, that is interesting how you pick a reference point and stick to it. But I guess that's when white men had the most power, the point that they're going back to. Like, why wouldn't you go back to that point if that's where you want to be again? Right. But I mean, it's such a flaw in the argument to me. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, it's just like such a blatant flaw in their argument. Because if, you know, you're just picking this arbitrary point in time that you want to go back to. But I'm going to pick another arbitrary point in time. And that's where I want to go back to. And it totally does not jive with what the way that you want the world to look. You know, it's just it's not, it's not a valid argument to me at all. No. So... And I think most reasonable people would agree with you. I hope so. I hope there's may way more reasonable people than, than unreasonable people. And I hope that a lot of those reasonable people are in positions of power and can do something about it. And are procreating. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Because I've actually brought this up many, many times. And I think I may have even brought it up in another podcast, but it may have gotten edited out. But it's always a... It's always such a great example. There's a movie called Idiocracy. Yes, I love that movie. And it scares the bejesus out of me <laughs> because it's coming true. I know. So just for people who haven't seen it, um, it's with one of the Wilson brothers. Is it Luke? Yeah. The cuter mm -hmm. one. Yeah. And then basically he is frozen in time and they're supposed to unfreeze him at a certain point in time, and they forget about him completely. So he ends up frozen for hundreds of years, something like that. And he then gets thawed out in the future when the idea is that only the stupid people have procreated and the smart people haven't. And so the idea is that all of a sudden he wakes up in this world full of idiots and he is the smartest person on the planet when he was a kind of mediocre to average person when he got frozen. Mm -hmm. And he saves the world by convincing them to stop watering their crops with Gatorade type <laughs> drink, which they've been doing because, you know, Gatorade gives you energy. So why wouldn't it give plants energy? And he convinces them to switch to water and saves the day. The heart of that movie to me is just always about... If the non-rational people have more kids than the rational people, what are we doing? What's going to happen? And the premise is if you have a Harvard MBA and you're a consultant, you're too busy at work and don't have time to procreate. So I don't know. It's just it always makes me think about the future and how scary it could potentially be. Which is why I'm so happy when whenever one of my friends, one of my cool friends has a baby, I, I give thanks. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, like almost like Simba in Lion King. Like, <laughs> hold them up and play some like, music. Hold them up and read them a book. <laughs> <laughs> so the final question I have for you, Kathy, is what is your all-time favorite podcast and what is a good episode to start with? Well... Like most people, I got into podcasts with This American Life and Serial. And lately, I have two that I've really been loving lately. I don't know if I have an all-time favorite. But the two I've been loving lately, it's called Terrible Thanks for Asking. It is Nora McKierney. And she was widowed and she lost a baby. And it kind of explores how when someone asks how you're doing, they kind of expect you to just be like, fine, no matter what you're going through and have a fake smile. And she kind of explores the flip side to that and delves into really emotional issues where people are not fine, based on how she felt after her husband passed away and after she lost this baby. And a good intro episode is Lena Tao. Uh, Lena Tao was pregnant and she was engaged. And when she was pregnant, her fiance broke off the engagement. So she waits, I think, a couple years and goes back to online dating. And it's very different from when she and her fiance were dating. And she tracks down all these men who didn't work out with and interviews them and asks them why. So, you know, that episode... I've heard it and I didn't hear it on Terrible Thanks for Asking. I heard it and we actually covered it in a podcast brunch club, I think, before you were part of it. And it's actually all part of the Love Hurts series. Leah Tao did a whole thing on exactly what you're saying. She goes back and talks to the people that she dated um, and talks about finding love. But I didn't know that she also did a Terrible Thanks for Asking episode. Yes, and I think that was the intro. Like, um, she did one terrible thanks for asking episode and then referred. It was a follow-up. That's what it was. Oh, okay. Um, So, yes, she does the whole series on her podcast, Strangers, but I first discovered her on Terrible Thanks for Asking, and I just really love Nora McKierney. She has a book out. She's so honest and raw, and she's a really great interviewer. Okay. So. I'm going to add that to my list. Yes. And I also really love one of my other favorites is called Mogul. And it's about Chris Lighty, who was a hip hop music executive who found like everybody, you know, from hip hop today, Warren G, Snoop Dogg. He worked with Mariah Carey, like all the big names. And he was in his backyard and allegedly committed suicide. Though many people question that assessment of the incident and say he was murdered. So it follows his rise from being a poor kid in the Bronx all the way up to being this mogul. And it's a fascinating journey. And I really loved it because the host really does a fully dimensional picture of him. Like he was arrested for domestic violence and he doesn't gloss over that. And this is one of his best friends. And he acknowledges it that it was wrong he tells people how to get help in the situation if they're in this situation and it also talks about depression and how in minority communities that's still kind of stigmatized well it's stigmatized everywhere but especially in minority communities it's stigmatized and kept really secret and how maybe if he had gotten help and if he did indeed commit suicide he would still be around today so i thought it was a very well-rounded picture of this guy who Basically, he didn't invent hip hop as we know it today, but he was one of the forefathers who turned it mainstream. Yeah, I actually I listened to it and it is a series. I think there's, I don't know, eight, six to eight episodes with a couple of bonus episodes. And it's one done by Gimlet, which is they've got a great track record for putting out podcasts. And funny that you mentioned that particular podcast, because I actually just wrote a podcast review for Audible Feast on Mogul that mm. is up on her site and um I'll also link to the review in the show notes but I gave it I gave it four or five stars so I totally agree with you it was really good and he was very honest and I just want to make sure everybody knows it's not a true crime podcast it's definitely not exploring whether or not it was a suicide or it was not a suicide there is a little bit of a discussion about it sort of toward the end but mainly it just sort of follows his life and paints a picture. All of the people that he interacted with, his family life, his private life, his public life, the whole thing. 
a totally like a window into a world that I never would have gotten a window into. Yeah, me too. And I just thought it was just such a, a broad picture of him. Like a lot of people are just deified after they die. And this it's it portrays him as a real dude, you know, right. As opposed to some some person on a pedestal. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I will put both of those in the show notes. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about how they can get in touch with you or, you know, what your website is or Twitter? All right. So we are at xxwilltravel.com and our podcast, you can listen to it on the website, on Podbean, where we're hosted, or on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all those wonderful podcast platforms. And we are on Instagram and Twitter at XXWillTravel. And we're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash XXWillTravel. And thank you so much for joining us and putting together this list for us. It was really interesting. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to seeing you at our next podcast brunch club. Yeah. Awesome. Bye. Bye. I hope you all enjoyed my conversation with Kathy about passports and citizenship. I did a little research after we recorded the episode to find out whether you can sell real estate in St. Kitts and whether that will still entitle you to citizenship. Per the St. Kitts and Nevis website, quote, the real estate option is a recoverable investment. However, you can only sell your property after five years. As of new regulations from 2012, the next buyer qualifies for citizenship, end quote. This really made me wonder how many $400,000 condos are simply being sold every five years to create the citizenship option for the next person while giving the first person their investment back. Next month, our theme will be stereotypes and pop culture, and you can find the episode lineup at podcastbrunchclub.com stereotypes. Finally, a quick call for help. A review on Apple Podcasts is super helpful. Also, if you have web, graphic design, or audio editing skills and want to help with some in-kind support, email me at adela, that's A-D-E-L-A, at podcastbrunchclub.com. Finally, if you work for an organization that may want to sponsor Podcast Brunch Club, or you're a podcast creator that wants to get the word out about your project, visit podcastbrunchclub.com sponsors. I'm offering an independent podcaster rate. Thanks, and happy listening. You've been listening to the Podcast Brunch Club podcast, presented by Adela Mizrachi from Chicago, USA, and produced by me, Emily Knight from Bristol, UK. This episode featured Kathy Pulkrabic, also from Chicago. All our music is from the Free Music Archive under a Creative Commons license. Our ad music is Paradise by Missail Gauna, and the music you're listening to now is That's All Right by Poddington Bear. See you next time. Oh, good. You're still here. I wanted to tell you one more thing. On October 1st, the Two Pods a Day campaign will start again. It's a campaign that helps you discover two independent podcasts a day for the entire month of October. So by the end of October, you'll have 62 new podcasts to listen to. Follow them on Twitter at Two Pods a Day, and they will be using the hashtag Two Pods a Day. That two is the number two. Spoiler alert. The PBC podcast is one of the many awesome podcasts that will be featured. So definitely follow them. Thanks.